friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series called Encounters, and it's these moments in which post-resurrection where Jesus would show up. And when he showed up, he, he dealt with fear, he dealt with uh, despair, he dealt with doubt. He told us to wait. That's what Brooks talked about last week, which is um, I'm really good at all the other things that Jesus had to come and meet, whether it's fearing, doubt, whatever it is, I'm good at that stuff. I'm not good at waiting. So if you haven't heard Brooks' sermon last week, it was amazing. I, I suggest that you do that. Highly encourage it. But all of this has led up. These encounters with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, have all led up to today, this day that we call Pentecost. And it's a day in which the power of God was undeniable. A rushing wind, tongues of fire resting on the 120 in the upper room, non-native languages testifying to the power of God that was unleashed and 3,000 saved. And in, just a little sidebar, that's 3,000 men saved. So how many more households saved on that day? My prayer is that today, this is another Sunday in which the power of God is undeniably unleashed. Because the power of God is the most important aspect to the Christian life today. There is, I'll say it this way, no matter how persuasive our arguments, how impressive our words, how moral our lives All of it's for naught if the power and presence of God is not seen amongst the people of God. Without his power and without his presence, it's all for naught. Doesn't mean it's not good stuff that we aspire to, but that's the fruit of God's people being found in his presence. John Tyson, I was listening to one of his sermons this week. And he mentions this statistic, and I'm not a huge statistic guy when it comes from the stage because I don't like projecting negative statistics out there, Uh, but it really struck me where one million young people are going to leave the church this year. That's like the, the statistic. But it's what grabbed me at the end of it. Why were they leaving? Because the church wasn't compelling. Church wasn't compelling. Has nothing to do with the man of Jesus. Has nothing to do with religious uh, Actually, it has a lot to do with religious burdens because the power and the presence of God is compelling. It's compelling. And so it's not like these young people are distracted and they're, they're the problem. No, the problem is with the church. There's one million hungry people searching, and all I have to ask is, where's the bread? Where's the bread, church? 
I'm thankful that it's here. Paul writes this in Corinthians. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. That's my prayer for this morning, that we would not experience a great teaching but would rather experience the power and presence of God manifest in this place. So I pray, Spirit of God, would you come in power. Amen. One of the things that I find most beautiful about Scripture uh, is the narrative throughout it all. And every time I get the opportunity to speak up here, I'm always talking about narrative. Every time that I get to speak with uh, our, young, our younger kids here at the church, or our young adults at the church, I always talk about narrative. Because when you look in Scripture, there's a common theme threaded throughout it. And it, it begins in Genesis 1, and it ends in Revelation 22. And, and, and oftentimes, we get Genesis 3 to Revelation 19. We get the fall of humans, they're terrible, which is not maybe, it's actually not what it says human beings are in Genesis 1, but we're terrible human beings and we're going to be judged one day, so live right. That's not the Bible. The narrative of the Bible is we're created in the image and likeness of a loving, good God, and his plan is to dwell with us. That's the point of scripture. God dwelling on earth, heaven and earth overlapping, him dwelling with his people. That's the point. That's how it begins, and that's how it's going to to end. And what's so impressive about this day, why I'm so excited about this topic, is because Pentecost plays a pivotal role in that narrative. And, And often there's these themes that go throughout, and one of the themes we see in Pentecost is fire. Tongues of fire resting. And I'm actually not going to talk about fire today, even though I love the theme of fire throughout the Bible. I just had one point. I had two sermons this week where I was like, I can go with fire and I can go with water. We're going with water today. But there's one little point that I found so interesting with fire. Um, Oftentimes, if, if, uh, if you ask the Christian, what is fire symbolized to you? I bet 95% of the time, Chase Dewey's statistic just came up with it right now. 95% of the time, though, I bet they'd say hell. You ask the Christian, what is fire? What's the significance of fire? It's hell. It's scary. It's destructive. But in the Bible, majority of the time, fire is talked about. It's the presence of God. And on Pentecost... The presence of God comes from off Sinai and rests on each individual in that upper room that was obedient to Christ. They waited in Jerusalem and the tongues of fire rested on them. The presence of God was united once again perfectly with his people. Can I get an amen? But through Dante's Inferno and all these other little things, we like to think about it as hell. No, when we read fire, when we think fire, I want you to retrain your mind to think presence of God. And if it burns up the dross, then welcome it in. Because Hebrews 12, 28 says this, 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Because of the Holy Spirit, because of what happened on Pentecost, we can actually invite the fire that is the presence of God into our lives to burn up the areas that need to be burnt up so that we radiate more his image. It's a transformation process. But we're not talking about fire, so we're done. We're going to living water. That's, my, that's another theme throughout the Bible that I love, and I actually thought really, I, I was very drawn to it uh, for this week. But living water, why is water important? Anybody, crowd participation, as I take a drink of water. Why is it important? It keeps you alive. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Lively bunch. No, it's vital for life, Kai. You're exactly right. It's vital for life. It's actually what makes something unique about earth is the water. There's something about your body being made up with, I'm not a scientist or a smart person in general. I think, what is it, like 67%? 75. Three-fourths of your body is made up of water. It's, it's, it is necessary for life. Another thing it is, is it's refreshment to the thirsty. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go out to Sierra Leone, Africa when I was in sixth grade to drill wells. And there's no celebration like being in this little village called Rokebob when you finally strike the waterbed and water starts to flood out of this little thing and they're throwing it all over the place. They're not even drinking it. They're just celebrating. There's something about water that's refreshing to the spirit, to the body. But in the biblical world, living water is is portrayed as something that would purify, make new, and ultimately lead to abundance. And we actually get that a lot in the prophetic imagery. It's it's interesting. If you guys can recall John 2, miracle at Cana, what does Jesus use to turn into wine? He uses water. But it's actually these gigantic purification pots that priests would have to dunk themselves into in order to go perform their service. They had to purify themselves before they could enter in to the presence of God. That's actually the pots that Jesus used. He used purification pots. Um, Another time that's going to lead us into our text for this morning. Uh, another time that they would use water is on the last day of the festival of booths or tabernacles. They, the high priest would get up there, they'd draw water, and they'd get to the altar, and they'd pour it over the altar, and it'd flood down the steps. And it was to symbolize that one day, God would resurrect his, uh, the temple in Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God would flow out, and all the nations would actually flock to Jerusalem for the living water. And it actually leads us to our text today. So if you want to go to it, it's John 7, 37 through 39. I'll give you a minute. But it's at this very moment that our teaching text is centered today. It says this, John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
is really interesting and, and really fitting for this thing we've been in. We've been glorifying. This year has been marked with beholding Jesus. That was a series that we did. And then it transferred into encounters with Jesus. There's something about encountering Jesus that actually makes space for him to come and fill us with living water, the Spirit of God. Our encounters with Christ make the necessary space for us to encounter the outpouring of his spirit. The space where fear and anxiety existed within us are at once filled with comfort and peace. The space where doubt and uncertainty once thrived is now overflowing with faith, confidence, and boldness. The operating system of shame is now an operating system of grace. And for those who wait upon the Lord, surely they'll have their strength renewed. Living water overflows out of the one who what? Accepts Jesus' invitation to come and drink. For the last six or seven weeks, we've been hammering home this invitation to come to Jesus and experience a man who has a source of living water that changes everything. And today is the day in which we drink of that living water and it overflows from within us here and forevermore. At least that's the hope. And what I love about Pentecost is it's both a celebration and an encounter. We celebrate the fulfillment of God's promise and plan to pour out his spirit on humans. We're talking Joel 2. We're talking Ezekiel 47. We're talking all these prophetic imagery. This prophetic imagery is summed up in one day, in one encounter. And it makes it possible again for us to exist fully in his presence. But it's also a reminder that this encounter with God through Christ and by his spirit is still readily available to us today. We were in uh, the prayer room before uh, and Meg brought up this, this idea of fullness idea of fullness and when I reflect on the church in the west as if we need another pastor standing from the stage talking about the church of the west but this is our church guys we're we're a part of this Um, I don't know if we're aware of the fullness that's in us I believe the church in America for the most part has come to the well and they've drank the water but I think they've forgotten how amazing that water is that living water I truly believe that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in a man that man was Jesus and because of Pentecost because of his promise to send his spirit to live within us that rivers of living water would flow out of us guys The fullness of God is within us because of that. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in those who come to the well and drink. That's good news. That's good news. And it doesn't matter if you're in fifth grade or if you're 95. It doesn't. It's still living water that exists within you. And it's not going away. And so if anything, I hope this is a little bit of a reminder because what we need is Pentecost and practice. A little pastoral alliteration for you right there. 
Pentecost in practice. What's the cultural significance of Pentecost? Because it's really amazing to think about what happened on that day. But I don't want to dwell so much on that day. I want to know what can we do? How can we live in light of what happened at Pentecost, what took place in Jerusalem with the 120 in the upper room? What does that mean for us today at Skyline Church in Oklahoma City? Well, one, it means that there's an invitation of baptism in the Spirit. And I'm sure that not everybody in here is charismatic. I wouldn't even really label myself as charismatic. Um, But there is something to the baptism of the Spirit that I think we, we oftentimes push off because we don't understand it. This is, I tried to come up with the most simple definition it is. An encounter with the living God that leads to deeper intimacy and awareness of his presence and power in your life. That's the baptism of the Spirit. If you can encounter Christ, be filled with his Spirit in a way that you are closely connected with him, the the intimacy between you and Christ grows. There's deeper revelation of who he is, I consider that baptism in the spirit. Now, if funky words start coming out of your mouth while you're at it, come on, Lord. There's worse things in the world than that. There's far worse things in the world than that. But that's not the point. The point isn't the babbling. The point is being filled up with the presence of God and encountering his spirit because it's alive and it's well. There's three things that I think when you experience the Holy Spirit that the, that the Holy Spirit actually leads us into. The first thing is I think by the Spirit we experience the power of God. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. For the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And this isn't power that we uh, almost wield at our own disposal. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a genie that we rub the lamp and it's like, man, I can do some pretty awesome things with this. You can do amazing things with this. But the essence of it is to glorify the Father, the one who has sent us the Spirit. Another thing we experience by the Spirit of God is the peace of God. John 14, 26, 27 says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I don't think that there's a single more important thing for this generation, this upcoming generation, than to experience the power and the peace of God. Studies are coming out where this is the most depressed. This isn't just in kids. The most depressed generation, the most anxious generation, it's the most unhealthy state America's ever been in. And all this tells me is that the church, someone says this, if there's a sick society, there's a sick church. Because Jesus is the great physician. Our kids need to know the power and the peace of God. The peace of God. 
that not everything in the world has to be right, but what the world wants to give you is a bunch of confusing alleyways to try to navigate and figure it out for yourself. And what the Spirit of God says is this next thing, I'll guide you into all truth so you can rest. You can rest. John 14, 16, 17 says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 10 says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared, are these things, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What I want to say is if you guys feel like you're trapped or you're in despair, that peace is not felt in you, there is a spirit within you, an advocate. I love that he's called that, the advocate, the helper, the guide, the counselor. This is who the Holy Spirit is. He's in you and is willing to lead you into all truth, willing to navigate you through, through troubling times. Being a Jesus follower is not all roses and daffodils. The world's hard. It's hard. Jesus says, you'll, you'll experience trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and later, what we find out next too is I'm actually giving you my spirit so that you can go out and do as I did. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And if we are to steward the power of God, we must build our lives around the presence of God. This is one thing that Tyson said in that sermon that was so good. It's one thing to experience the power of God. That's amazing. But it's being able to cultivate a lifestyle that can sustain it. And it's nothing that we can do other than find ourselves in God's presence. That's all we can do. Is find ourselves in God's presence. And what's happen, what happens is as we get into the presence of Jesus, he pours his spirit out on us. And as the spirit gets poured out of us, we get into greater revelation of who Jesus is, which then leads us on a, a more full-hearted pursuit of the man, Jesus. And then we, we reach him again, and oh my gosh, he baptizes us again in his spirit and deeper knowledge, deeper revelation of who he is. This is the cycle of the Christian life. It's sustainable. It is. That's the good news. It's sustainable. It's not, it's not one thing where the power's unleashed on you, and now you have to ride that for the rest of your life. No. He, wherever he can be found, you can be filled. Wherever he can be found, you can be filled. And that's why the church is so important today, guys. If he can't be found in these walls, where can he be found? will be found. I'll say that. He won't pull away forever. He goes where he's wanted. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says this, now, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, which the purpose he's talking about is being swallowed up into life. Oh, what an image. Being swallowed up into life is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So this is my vision for, for Skyline as I thought about Pentecost and his spirit being poured out on us. A church that is formed around the eschatological reality that is this, God dwelling with man. 
dwelling with man. We glorify the Father through beholding his Son and receiving outpourings of his Spirit. And if we commit to hosting the presence of God perpetually, not just for a Pentecost Sunday, imagine what our city would look like. Imagine what your life, your family, even your in-laws, imagine what that would look like if you centered a life around hosting the presence of God. One of, uh, one of our friends here, Corey Russell, he's in Denver now, um, he said that he built a life around facilitating his thirst. Whatever quenches my thirst, I'm building my life around that. That's an invitation that I think is for all of us and is one that I want to say in front of you. That's, that's how I want to build my life, guys. I want to build my life around Christ. I want to build my life around the well, the source of living water because the world's too hard to go through by myself on my own terms. And he's given me too good of a gift He's given us too good of a gift to try to go do it on our own willpower. The band can come back up. What's funny is the the text I mentioned earlier, Ezekiel 47, was actually central to this, this day in which Jesus stands up and says, come to me if you're thirsty. So I just wanted to end with this image that would have been going through every person's mind at that ceremony where they pour water out on the altar. Ezekiel 47.1 starts like this. The man brought me back to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the, toward the east. The water was coming down from the south of the altar. He then brought me out to the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer facing gate and the water was trickling down from the south side as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to my waist He measured off another thousand cubits, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down to Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. 
fishermen will stand along the shore. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve food, their leaves for healing. Because of Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of men and women, our lives become the nourishment and the healing of the communities that we live live in. All of it begins with coming to Jesus, accepting the invitation to come and drink from the well of living water. And when you do that, living water, no, living water will flow from within you. Guys, this vision of Skyline being a place that hosts the presence and power of God is already happening. All of it's happened because we've centered. We've, we've found this thing where it's like, all we're going to do in this place is we're going to worship and we're going to pray. We're not going to try to do a bunch of programs or outreach. We're going to be a church that prays for his spirit to fall on Oklahoma City. We're going to be a church that gathers every chance we get to worship him. And when we do that, we're filled up. We're reminded that the the spirit of the living God is in us. And we get to go out there and rivers of living living water of life flow out of us into the ones we touch throughout the week. If you feel as if you're dry, the well's dried up, Jesus is still here saying, come to me. It's not a one-time thing. And say you get one shot at this and don't blow it. He says, no, come to me if you're thirsty. If you're thirsty this morning, come to Jesus. We have a prayer team that will be up here. We have altars up here for a reason. Respond in faith. Like it says in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts invitation is to respond and if you don't feel like you're thirsty you feel filled with the spirit man look around pray pray for someone who's who isn't pray for someone in your life pray for opportunities for living water to flow out of you as you work with uh, one of your co-workers who's desperate one of your estranged family members someone you bump into at Walmart. I don't know. He's real and he's alive and he's on the move. And the church is the place in which the power and presence of God is unleashed and it transforms everything. No words, no rules or anything are better than the presence and power of God. And so Skyline, if anything, let's recommit ourselves to being hosts of the power and the presence of God so that his peace may reign on here as it is in heaven on earth. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll have our prayer team up here and then we'll worship.
and take communion. But Holy Spirit, would you come? Worship you together. Amen. Please stand.